Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Quran al-Kareem to Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and through the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to Sahaba al-Kareem radiyallahu ta'ala al-Jumayn over a period of 22 years. It is in a certain way that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam taught Quran al-Kareem and there is a certain way that Sahaba al-Kareem radiyallahu ta'ala al-Jumayn Sahaba al-Kareem learned Quran al-Kareem. It was very different from the way many do. <coughs> one thing is knowledge, ilm, and one thing <coughs> is learning how to do amal on that knowledge. Learning knowledge, that is called ta'alim and ta'allam. And learning to practice knowledge, that is called tazkiyah and tabiyah. Both of these things have to be learned. It's not enough just to learn the knowledge, you also have to learn how to practice and follow the knowledge. And this is why when a lot of people say that I know but I don't practice, I see this gap between my knowledge and practice. It's because you learned the knowledge but you never learned how to practice the knowledge. You thought all you had to do was learn the knowledge and you'd be able to practice it yourself. Just like you cannot learn the knowledge yourself, you will not be able to practice the knowledge yourself. Both of these things are taught and learned in our deen. So when Allah Subhanahu explained in Quran Al-Kareem to Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam what his functions were in being a Nabi, a Rasul, a Prophet, a Messenger, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said, So yes, first you will recite just Recite the verses of Revelation to them. Bring the knowledge into existence that Allah Ta'ala has revealed to you, but even then unknown to anybody. <coughs> Bring the knowledge into existence through tilawat, the recitation of those ayat. Second, when you zakki him, first put in their hearts a thirst for practicing the knowledge. Then when you allimuhum al-kitab wal-hikmah, and then teach them the knowledge. It's a unique way of learning. It's somebody who's already thirsty to practice it. And then they learn the knowledge. 
person will never have this gap between their knowledge and practice. You will be for like this in dunya. If there's some skill they want to learn, right? They're already thirsty for it. So as soon as they learn it, they will practice it. There's no way they will go to the manager and say, yes, you should go to the training course, and I have the knowledge, but there's a gap between my knowledge and my practice. No. Because before they went to the training course, they went with the niyat of amal. They went with the intention to practice what they learned. So Allah Ta'ala taught us to see to Nabi Akrim and purify their heart, purify their character, also make their heart thirsty for that knowledge. And then fill their hearts with the knowledge of Quran Kareem and Sunnah, and then they will be automatically practicing. For us indeed, the same thing happens. You will find if somebody walks into Jummah Bayan or any Bayan, and maybe they don't bring that thirst with them. Thirst to practice. They bring curiosity of knowledge, but not thirst to practice. So they will listen, they will get the information, but they won't be able to practice it later. But if they go meet a scholar or imam or alim or sheikh, and they have some problem in the world, and they want to teach me some dua <laughs> that will help my business, Allah Akbar. So they have a thirst to practice. There's no way that if I teach them a dua, let's say I told them that this is a dua, it will guarantee help your business. There's no way he's going to write me after a week. You know, I have a gap between my knowledge and practice. <laughs> you told me a dua, I know it, but I'm not able to make it. If I'm making it day and night, ten times, hundred times a day and night, can you tell me more? <laughs> so when a person comes with the thirst first, then they will practice what they learn. This was Sahaba Al-Quran. So Allah Ta'ala described this attribute of us in the Quran. Sami'na wa ta'na. There was no gap. As soon as they heard, they obeyed. Mean you have a gap. We hear the knowledge. We process the knowledge. We analyze the knowledge. We see if we understand the knowledge. Then we see, is it going to be difficult to follow or not? What's the effect of following it? Hmm? And then maybe we practice it. There's a long journey we make between Samitna and many, many things we do before we hit Atatna. Sabikam, no gap. Not even Samitna, Summa Atatna. Not even that. Not even Samitna, Fa Atatna. Samitna, Wa Atatna. We heard and we obeyed. That's it. Why? Because we were hearing for the need of obeying. That's why there was no delay. There was no gap whatsoever. So this is a special sifat of in a special way that Nabi Kareem taught them. Unfortunately, we don't have that. So I want to give you some examples. I want you to imagine. Take some ayat and some hadith and now imagine what would have happened. So for example, many ayat were revealed and Sahaba would have learned something new. That to Allah Ta'ala belong the infinitely beautiful names. You should make the to Allah Ta'ala using those names. But now imagine, the very first time Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu said to those ayat, imagine the effect on the Sahaba, the very first time they heard the ayat. What do you think they did the rest of the day? Hmm? As soon as they heard it, Samiyana they must have all day, all night been calling upon Allah Ta'ala with His name. 
They've never done this before. Never made dua of Allah Ta'ala's name. But Allah Ta'ala revealed them the Quran. I'll give you another example from Hadith. Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said at one point in the Sira, in his life, he shared for the first time the teaching, what? That from the time the Mu'azzin called Adam until the Iqamah is called, it's a time where Allah Ta'ala accepts du'as, kubuliyat of du'as. Imagine how we hear this for the first time, right? So then what do you think happened the very next time the Mu'azzin called the Adhan? Hmm? Immediate Amr. The very next time the Mu'azzin would have called Adhan until Ikama, Sahabat Islam would have been making dua like me and you make on 27th Ramadan, or me and you make on Mustazim, hmm? or me and you make on Arafah. They did Amr instantly. Instant Amr. But that's a beautiful way to learn Deen. Just think now, every verse of Quran is like that. I give you one example. Every hadith is like that. But after 22 years like that, they become a jama'at, jama'at al-salihin, jama'at al-mustaqeen. That can never happen again in the ummah. Every single mu'min, mu'min alive, in all all of it. But why? 22 years of Samitna Wasana. We can't do that even for a few days, a few weeks. So how are we going to become Salihin and Mustaqeen and Zakirin and Sabirin and Sakirin Mu'min? Any verse, any ayah, hmm? the du'as that come in Quran al-Kareem, like Imam recited a passage of Quran with some du'as in it, in Maghrib Salam, they start making those du'as. Hmm? They were thirsty, thirsty for the knowledge. And they would practice that knowledge. Hmm? This is not my topic for tonight. This is just a uh, few things I wanted to share with you. Topic for tonight is don't be angry with Allah. Allah Topic for tonight is Naudu Billah al Amal al Hakeezalik. Don't be angry with Allah. Why? Because sometimes what happens is that me and you we do some amal on me. Maybe we pray salah, we fast, we give some charity, we make some dhikr, we recite Quran, we do some dawah, we do some relief work, we do something on deen. Then, because we did those things on deen, we start thinking we're mustahiq. That we are now entitled. We have an entitlement. That Allah Ta'ala will make everything in our lives go absolutely smoothly. And then, but that's not the reality. And when some problem happens to us, some difficulty, setback, failure, trial, stress, all the way up to fitna, then we get angry with Allah subhanahu wa Or we get frustrated, or we get upset, or we get distant, or we get sad, or we get confused, or we have a doubt, or we have a question, or we become lazy in being. Any, there's a whole range, a whole range. Why? Because we think, oh, why is this happening to me? Why do you ask the question why? Because I turned to me. Okay, before when I was not on Deen in my old life, I couldn't understand why these things would happen to me. But 
I now don't sin. I left this sin, I left that sin, I changed my life in this way. Then, if a person wants to, they can count all the good things that they did. It's very difficult to run the x-ray of sin. But to run the x-ray of your good deeds, you have a long report. <laughs> and you keep printing, you keep printing. You do this, and 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 you do this. So why is this happening? So it's, first of all, it's a wrong question. But even worse than that, people give the wrong answers. If they dare to ask the question, they come up with the wrong answer. So the first thing to realize is that we have no entitlement. We're not mustahit that Allah Ta'ala should run our affairs smoothly. We are fakir. Ya ayyuhun nas, antumul fakarahu ilallah. Allah Ta'ala said in Quran that, O people, each and every single one of you, you need Allah Ta'ala. You are dependent on Allah Ta'ala. He is al-ghani al-mustaghni. He has absolutely no need. He is completely independent. No one is entitled to anything. If anybody gets anything, any khair, any aman, any itminan, any peace, it's all from the rahmah and mercy of Allah Ta'ala. Not because we are worthy of it, or entitled to it, or we deserve it. So if anybody has any difficulty, there is no entitlement that was taken away. Since there was no entitlement, that existed in the first place. Then a person asked the question, that why, so first they said, why is this happening to me? Another way people ask it, why is Allah doing this to me? Now the level of Aqeelah, this is correct. Everything that happens to us happens because of the will and wisdom of Allah. That's correct. But the way the person is asking is in a different way. He is also believing that it's happening because Allah is wanting it to happen, making it happen, but he is questioning it. Why is Allah Ta'ala doing this to me? Why is Allah Ta'ala put me in this situation? Okay, so there are two possible answers. One answer is, okay, you are genuinely innocent and free from all sin. So then you cannot say Allah Ta'ala is upset with me, right? You are genuinely innocent and free from sin. You're living the pure life of taqwa and ayah. So in that case, the answer to this question, that why does Allah Ta'ala make this happen to me, is Allah Ta'ala raising you even further. You, mashallah, brought yourself as close to Him as you could through taqwa and through ayah and through akhlaq and through good behavior and good worship. Now He's bringing you even further to Him, closer to Him, even more close to Him, the way He can. Second option is if you say, no, I cannot say I'm pure and taqwa and pure and haya. I have some sins, some mistakes, some commandments I miss out, some things I shouldn't do that I do. Okay, well, there's your answer right there. It's not ha- Allah is not doing it to you. You brought it on your own self. You brought it on your own self. What's the way out? In the first case, if the person was on the pure taqwa and haya, the way out is simply to have sabr. And to know that in the Allah because the second case, that a person knows he has some sins and shortcomings, he has to make toba and he has to change. Two things. He has to seek Allah Ta'ala's forgiveness and not do the sin again, but then he also has to change so that he doesn't repeat the sin. I just make this very clear. Until you change, you will not, you will repeat the sin. So people sometimes ask this question, I did a sin, I felt sorry afterwards, I begged Allah for forgiveness, I intended, made tawbah, never to do it again. 
But after a certain time, I ended up doing it again. So yes, because you did so bad, you didn't just sit here. You did so bad, so you truly felt sorry, and you truly repented to Allah Ta'ala. But until you do tazkiyah, you don't purify that part of you that is attracted to sin, you will end up returning to it. You need to get cured also. So a person has an illness, or they have a sore knee, right? But they make themselves walk, but unless the arthritis goes away, they will, all, they will return. At some point the pain will return. At some time they will slip again. So the person, if they want to come out of that test, that Allah Taala sent on them, they have to make toba and tazkiyah. Another mistake is not even that a person gets angry with Allah Taala, but a person thinks Allah Taala is angry with me. So first understand one thing that is not anywhere in Allah Taala's attributes. Allah Taala has no spite or malice in it. He has anger. He can be angry. All the time we say, right? But he has no spite or malice or viciousness or pettiness. Okay? So if he's angry because of some sin that we did, you can instantly remove yourself from his anger just by making a stifar. Not even tazkiyah is not required. You can remove yourself from the anger of Allah Taala just by making a stifar and so you can remove yourself from sin by doing tazkiyah. That's a longer process. But even if you don't do tazkiyah, you're still stuck with lust. But if you beg Allah's forgiveness for the lustful act, you will no longer be angry with it. Even though you still haven't cured yourself and rid yourself of those lustful inclinations. So it's very easy to get out of that feeling of anger of Allah subhanahu wa Very easy. But nobody should think in that way that Allah Ta'ala is angry with me, that Allah Ta'ala has some malice in me. Then Shaykh Rasulullah he mentioned a beautiful thing, writing in response to one of the students who wrote him, what? The Shaykh, I'm always in the sin, I keep making istighfar, keep making tawbah, I keep returning to the sin. And it's been going on for years. So he wrote him back. Very short line. Maybe Allah Ta'ala loves you in your state of Tawbah. Therefore, He keeps wanting to see you in Tawbah so He can keep sending His love on you. But, love, but, okay. And then He told them, so you should prepare for a lifelong battle. But this will be your life. So what we understood from that is, yes, there will be some people because Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Specifically said this in a day, there will be a person whose book of deeds says exactly that. That they did sin, they made tawbah, returned to sin, did tawbah, returned to sin, did tawbah, their whole life. Their whole life. So there will be some people who actually live their whole life like this. Even then we make sugar to Allah SWT. Allah SWT, if I live my life like this, yes, fine, on the one hand it means that I always return to sin. But it also means that never did my nafs make me do sin, Except that you, Allah Ta'ala, you gave me tawfiq to make tawbah. You remembered me every time. You guided me every time. You lifted me up every time. That's a beautiful life to live. So some people, they may be in that situation. Fair, Allah Ta'ala said in Quran, Adhim, Amlil Insani Man Tamanna. 
that those as human beings think they will always have whatever they want. You know, you know, Urdu, Urdu word is taken from the Arabic, tamanna, your wish, your wish and desire and your fancies, your dreams, your aspirations. So it's a rhetorical question. It means Allah Ta'ala is saying in Quran, no, you will not have what you want in this world. There's another life for that. That's called Akhirah. Whatever you want. In this world, you will not have whatever you want. Even if you're Mustaki, you will still not have whatever you want. You're a doctor, you will not have whatever you want. You give lots of charity, you will not always have whatever you want. You do the of your parents, you still will not have whatever you want. It doesn't matter who you are and what you are. In this world, no human being will always get whatever they want. This is another mistake some of us thought. It may be because we are practicing being, we forget everything that we want. Hmm? No. No one will always get whatever they want. Then Allah SWT said in the next ayah, To Allah Ta'ala belongs, literally it means to Allah Ta'ala belongs the last and the first. To Allah Ta'ala belongs the hereafter and this world. To Allah Ta'ala belongs everything that is yet to come, and everything that has passed. To Allah Ta'ala belongs the tawfiq to give you to do anything in your future, and to Allah belongs the praise for anything you ever did in the past. Everything belongs to Allah Ta'ala. Means you are powerless, you have no agency, you are not an actor, you have no ability. Same end result is from Alhamdulillah bin Adami. Same end result is from this ayah of Quran Al-Qurim. Everything that we did, every action, every reward, it's all up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It all lies with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> but, what a person should be worried about is that they should not go back in their ibadah. This is a mistake people make. That when Allah ta'ala puts them in some difficulty, so they experience a decline in their ibadah. Because they feel distant from Allah Ta'ala. Because they feel depressed. Because they feel lazy. They say, I'm disinterested, apathy. I just don't feel like doing anything. This is something to be very careful about. So listen to what Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala said about this. It clearly, explicitly in Quran Al-Kareem. That from the people, there are some who worship and obey and submit to Allah subhanahu wa means it's on the edge, on the precipice. I mean, at any moment, they can tip over. They're walking the edge. They're barely worshipping Allah subhanahu They're not mustaqeem. They're on the edge. فَإِنْ أَصَابَهُ خَيْرٌ النَّبِي That if any good of the dunya falls them, they get really happy with it. They're content with it. وَإِنْ أَصَابَتُوا فِتْنَةٌ إِنْ قَلَبَ عَلَى وَجْهِ If a fitna, a trial, test, tribulation comes them, they turn back. Now on what? On that ibadah al They turn back on their worship and submission to Allah SWT. They pull back. خَسِرَ الدُّنْيَا وَالْآخِرَةِ such a person has lost everything in this world and has lost everything in Akhirah. This is the clear 
manifest love. They have no maintenance either, they didn't exist. All that happened to them is that they were doing Ibadah, and while they were getting bounties in the world, they were happy had it been on. And then they were doing Ibadah, but when Allah Ta'ala sent a fitna on them, they turned away from that Ibadah. They stopped doing that Tilawah, stopped doing that Zikr, stopped praying that Salah, stopped doing whatever Ibadah they were doing. That's it. And Allah Ta'ala says, such a person who maintains their Ibadah in good times and declines in Ibadah in bad times has lost everything in the dunya and akhirah is in a state of khusran. Khusran means a vacuum in Arabic. That type of loss. Means loss from every direction, top, bottom, front, back, right, left, the way a black hole loses light. Complete loss is in a state of complete and absolute, utter loss. Why? Just because they declined in their ibadah. How many of us have this dangerous symptom in us? That when there's some difficulty in this world that Allah Ta'ala sends our way, we slacken a bit in our ibadah. Hmm? Then, Ibn Kathir in Allah Ta'ala, in his tafsir, he quoted a sahabi, Sayyidina Abdullah ibn Abbas, who commented on this verse. And he said that they were new Muslims who came to Medina Manawara. And when they came to Medina Manawara, and if they remained healthy in Medina Manawara, and their children, their wife would give birth to children, they would be happy. And they would say, quote, I have not experienced anything but khair since I have entered the deen of Islam. But, if a fitna would afflict him, such as if he felt illness, or such as some worldly risk was delayed in coming to him, then shaitan would come to them and do waswasa. That by Allah, ever since you started following this deed, you are now suffering from fitna. You'd be amazed. I've literally had people write this to me. That Shaykh, ever since I started studying, hmm, this, this difficulty has come up on me. Shaykh, ever since I started in the path of da'wah or zikr or ibadah or amal, this, this difficulty came up on me. And they don't understand. And they're getting doubtful. Doubtful about Allah SWT. It's going way back. Allah already stayed in Quran Karim. It was happening even in the time of the earliest times. And the Mufassirin used this to explain. Hmm? So no, we shouldn't think like that. We should not be upset with Allah SWT. We should not be in this delusion. We should not be in this delusion. Another way I can explain this to you is that whatever ibadah you were doing, and a person says, I reduced my ibadah. Whatever ibadah you were doing in good times, you weren't doing that because of your own strength. You were doing that because that was a gift from Allah Ta'ala to you. So if you reduce those ibadah in tough times, it means you're rejecting the gift Allah Ta'ala gave to you. So if you're rejecting the gift that Allah Ta'ala already gave to you, how can you ask Him to give you the gift that He takes you out of the difficulty that you're in? How can you be making dua to the gift that he ease your word, remove your sorrow, protect you from your enemies, protect you from Hasidim, when by reducing in ibadah, you're rejecting the gift that he's already given you. Some people have another delusion that no, fine, I stopped, like for example, I stopped reciting Quran, but it's okay because anytime I want, I can start again. 
That's what they think. Maybe because they did it regularly. I stopped my zikr, but it's okay. When I get when I get over this, whatever it is, I can resume my zikr again. No problem. This is a double delusion. Double delusion. First delusion that you were doing it on your own effort before. And second, that you will be able to find effort again to do it. Like it's all in your ikhtiyar. You are the doer. You are the father hakiki. You are the main actor. No, 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 no. If before you were doing it, it was because of the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa And the only way you'll be able to continue it or resume it after leaving it will be through the tawfiq of Allah subhanahu wa This is a big delusion. Big delusion. So as soon as I get better, this thing sorts itself out. Hmm? I will say. Then another delusion people have. Sometimes they think like Allah Ta'ala gives them with an attribute in their nature. So by nature they're soft. By nature they're kind. By nature they don't get angry. Right? MashaAllah, people like that. In fact, Allah Ta'ala has blessed every human being with some good sifat. Allah Ta'ala has blessed everyone with some bad characteristic traits that he has to learn to control and change from the teachings of being. But if a person thinks like that, that it's my nature. Hmm? It's my nature I'm kind to others. It's my nature I like to give. Even if we say, it's your, who put it in your nature? Hmm? Did you make your nature? Did you create yourself? Did you design yourself? Or did Allah subhanahu wa create and design you? You never even say that it's in my nature. Say, Alhamdulillah, Allah ta'ala has made it easy for me to give. Otherwise, me, I would have been the most stingy person on earth. That's what you should think. No, Allah ta'ala made me soft. Otherwise, me, I would have been the most harsh person on earth. And then, even worse, it's like a type of lessership. They attribute it to something else. Because I'm educated. Because I'm educated, or I'm liberal, or I'm modern, or I'm advanced, I'm sophisticated. Hmm? That's why I don't get angry. Not because you're educated, or you're sophisticated, or you're cultured. It's because Allah Ta'ala's mercy that He took out anger from your nafs. And if Allah Ta'ala ever wants, He might put you in a situation. Hmm? And where all your education and sophistication and culturedness and modernness will go away, and you will be so angry. You will be so angry. You must attribute it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> Even the Anbiya, they used to say, hmm? All Anbiya, Alhamdulillah, this is a standard teaching. And there was the one who Allah ta'ala, if any human being has the right to say that, it's uh, Anbiya. Allah Ta'ala gave them the most sifat. Allah Ta'ala gave them the greatest sifat. But they never believe themselves in anything. Always humble towards Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Always humble towards Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. <coughs> so simply speaking, nothing we did, we did by choice. So then we shouldn't leave it by choice. Hmm? We shouldn't stop doing something by choice. When, even when you originally were doing it, it was because Allah Ta'ala chose that for me, for you. But what happens then is a person falls into a lot of negativity in their relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Because even in this world, 
There is no relationship that can function with negativity. Exclude one, one, one. Never. It'll never work. If you're second guessing, doubting, questioning, skeptical, hmm? no relationship will work. Now, how do you think the other love relationship will work? It's very important to all of us have husnizam about Allah subhanahu wa So, this is another ayat in Quran Kareem. Allah Ta'ala explains. Maybe you don't like something, but it's actually good for you. Maybe you don't like something, but it's actually good for you. And maybe you love something. Here on this side, Allah Ta'ala increased the language. Karat is like, maybe you dislike, not to test, maybe you dislike something, but it is actually good for you. And maybe you love something, you have hope for something, it's an evil, it's an abomination for you. It's an abomination for you. And Allah Ta'ala knows, and you don't know. Allah Ta'ala mentioned clearly. Allah knows you don't know. This will happen many times in life. Something will happen and you wish it shouldn't have happened for you. But actually there's a khair in it for you. And that's a khair in it for you. And there may be something you were chasing after, really wanted, you made dua for it, you even made satul hajjah for it to happen, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And you get so sad it didn't happen, but actually maybe it was shar, it was bad for you. And it's Allah's mercy that despite your it's not that he didn't answer your du'as, but because of his knowledge is greater than yours. That's what Allah is saying. So even though you made so much du'a for it, you still didn't let it happen. Because in reality, it was not good for you. And you'll never know. Sometimes you may know in life. Sometimes years will pass and you will realize looking back. Sometimes Allah does that also to show you. But not always. Sometimes you will never know your whole life. That that thing that you wanted really badly was actually shot for you, was actually evil for you, was not care for you. <coughs> this is part of Iman Bazeb, having Iman in the unseen. Allah Ta'ala's knowledge about us individually and about your life and about what's best for you is unseen to you, unknown to you. Other than some people ask this question, that sometimes the ulama, whenever something bad happens, they say that there's care in this. It may, it may be care. It may be care. It's a kill in this, right? So sometimes the only person that can get a bit frustrated, huh? if he has some very big setback, business collapse, some accident in his family, some illness, and then he goes to somebody and he wants to get guidance from me, right? And the person tells him, it's okay, there's hair in this. Okay, so hair, yeah. <laughs> okay, tell me to do summer, tell me anything you want, but you're telling me this is hair for me? At that moment, because he's emotionally disturbed by whatever difficulties he's in, he can't understand this statement. But I want you to understand. It's not meant literally, it doesn't mean, okay, if your business went bankrupt, bankruptcy itself is a good thing. No. It doesn't mean that there's an accident or an illness in your family, that accidents or illnesses are good things. No. That's not what it means. What it means is that you're being put through this difficulty. You're being put through this experience.
experience that something bad is happening to you. It's not saying it's good. But your being put through this experience that something bad is happening to you might actually be good for you. Not that the thing is good. The thing is bad that's happening to you. But it might work out well for you. It might. What does that mean? There is a khair, a way, a path to get that khair. But not everybody has the sabr and strength to do it. And this is what you have to have, sabr. And if a person doesn't have patience and endurance and perseverance on their good deeds, they won't be able to get that khair which Allah Ta'ala wanted them to get, or Allah Ta'ala enabled them to get, by putting them through this bad experience. So it's our choice if we try to get that khair. So Shaykh Hashem al Ta'ala, he took the most extreme example. So the most extreme example is called fitna. More than ibtila, more than imtihan, more than musibah. These are all words and variations of them come in Quran. The most worst thing that can happen to a person in this dunya is called fitna. Fitna. Al-fitnatu ashaddu min al-qatl. That fitna is even more severe than murder. Fitna. So he specifically wrote about this. That when a believer is tested through a fitna, he should do four things. I'm going to add a fifth thing afterwards. Four things. Number one, sabr. Sabr has many meanings. The first meaning of sabr, if you were to explain it, Urdu, sabr Patience means, number one, don't be impatient. That's the first step in sabr. At least prevent yourself from the needle from going into impatience. It means to withhold yourself, to maintain yourself, to restrict yourself. That's the first meaning of sabr. Don't let yourself become impatient, react, erupt, frustrated, vexated, angry with Allah SWT, etc. Suffer, hold, pause, freeze yourself. Second meaning of suffer is endurance and perseverance. So what we already mentioned to you. Whatever ibadahs you were doing, persevere in them. Yes, it's harder to do ibadah in bad times. It's easier to do ibadah in good times. But it requires endurance and fortitude and strength, that type of suffer, to persevere, to continue, to maintain your ibadat in bad times. Second aspect of suffer. <coughs> okay, so the first thing is suffer. Second is tafweed. Inni ufawidu amri illallah. Tafweed means to submit your matter entirely to Allah Taala. So a mistake we do sometimes is we think that we will fix it. And then we try to fix it. And then many times our attempt to fix it messes it up. And then after messing it up even more, then finally we turn to Allah SWT. And yes, if you have some asbab, some way to fix the situation, you can try. But you have to do tafweez first, not last. Give up everything to Allah SWT. Know in your aqidah and in your heart of hearts, that your matter and affair lies entirely with Allah. <laughs> as long as Allah Ta'ala wants to see me in this fitna, I will remain in this fitna. And whenever Allah Ta'ala wishes to take me out of this fitna, I will come out of this fitna. That's it. As a human, as a weak, fallible human, I might make some effort to get out myself. 
But I know this from the outset, that as long as Allah Ta'ala wants me to remain in the fitna, no matter how much I may try, I will never get out. And I know this also, that if Allah Ta'ala wants to take me out of the fitna, even no matter how mistaken my efforts may be, I will come immediately out. That's called tasbih. To freeze. To submit your manner totally, entirely to Allah Subhanahu Now, who can do this? The one who has salah. You cannot do tasweez if you let yourself become impatient. You will not be able to tasweez if you go back in your ibadat. You'll end up in that khusran, the priority surgery of Quran. You will only be able to do true tasweez if you did the first step to adopt the true salah. Because what happens when you do sabr? In Allah Sabirin. Even if you don't remember that ayah, it will happen. Even if you can't feel Allah Ta'ala's special ma'iyya, his special companionship, he will give it to you if you are a person of sabr. And you know people say subconscious. Subconscious means that it's something that your mind does not it's not consciously aware of. It's in the background. Just like that if you will, I will use the term like sabruh. Your ruh, to whatever extent you are conscious of that, and people are in this day and age very less conscious of it, you will not be aware of the mayat of Allah SWT. But sub-ruh, <laughs> subconsciously your ruh will feel that mayat, and therefore it will be easier for your ruh to do tasweed. This is why it's so important to do sabr, because it's the first step, it's the foundation. Then if a person does sabr and then does tasweed, the third thing is dua. But it's a different type of du'a. The way the impatient person makes du'a is a different type of du'a. The way the person who's frustrated and angry makes du'a is a different type of du'a. And the way the person who does sabr and then did tafweez knows everything is in Allah's Allah's decree. The way that person makes du'a, Allah was forgiven. Totally different type of du'a. Heartfelt du'a, munajat. In Urdu we say dil ki sada. In English you can say the plea of the heart. The silent plea of the heart, which is perhaps louder than any words that a person can offer. That type of du'a. That type of du'a will come. If a person did suffer and tafweed, then he uses a fourth word, but the fourth word is being used in a particular way. So the fourth word he uses in Arabic is muraqabah. But in this fourth word he's not talking about a particular way of the term. By muraqabah he says that you should, after making du'a to Allah Ta'ala, just the way, just the way, they, remember I give an example of x-ray? If I told you to constantly, deeply reflect and contemplate and think about all the bounties and blessings Allah Ta'ala has given you, so that you can do shukr. Okay? That's the topic of tomorrow's beyond inshallah. Muraqabah here he said, said ponder, reflect, Deeply contemplate that this fitna that Allah Ta'ala has put me in, what care could there be in this fitna for me? And he says that you will actually, if you've done sabr, and you've done tafweez, and you're making heartfelt dua to Allah Ta'ala, then you reflect, you will actually see, Allah will reveal, will unveil some khair in this fitna. And then I will then go to the next step. If you reach the fourth step and you actually see the khair, then you should do shukr for the fitna. <laughs> That's only if you reach all four steps. 
Because when you actually see the khair in the fitna, sometimes Allah Ta'ala sends through fitna a khair that you would never have imagined, that you would have never sought out, that was never even part of your life plan, that was unexpected, unplanned, and in fact unattainable, unreachable, except for the And then you will interpret to Allah that you you're giving me this hair that was never even in my niya, my intention to try to get. I make so much shukr Look at the power of deen. Hmm? To take a person, a human being who doesn't have deen, so you can imagine the level of depression they would be in fitna, the level of sadness, the level of near suicidal feelings. But deen takes a person and guides them because of their belief in Allah because of this sabr, tafweed, and dua, and this reflection on Allah Ta'ala giving khair, and Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu that how amazing is the affair of every believer, that everything Allah Ta'ala decrees for him is khair. Now you can understand. We all, all just see that, but that's the reality. That is the reality. So in these cases of fitna, we should never lose our hope. We should never lose our hope. So let me tell you another thing. If you sometimes look at others and you see that Allah Ta'ala is not punishing such and such a person, you know, that's another mistake people make. When they're, they're having a tough time in their life, they look at the other person who's not having a tough time. Because it also comes in Quran Al-Kareem, Allah Ta'ala said, that there are some people who sin against Allah SWT and then He's angry with them. And because they don't have any shame or remorse or regret over their sin, they don't seek Allah's forgiveness, make istighfar. They don't make tawbah, they have no plan to leave the sin. They don't make islah, they have no plan to cure themselves from that potential to sin. So what does Allah Ta'ala do? Does He punish them? No. Allah Ta'ala keeps giving them. He opens for them a buab of the shade, the path for every bounty and blessing. Hatta idha farihu bima'utu. So much so that they become overjoyed with how much Allah Ta'ala is giving him in this world. Then, thumma akhaznahum baghdatan. Then Allah Ta'ala says, then our wrath and punishment will seize them all of a sudden. Because you ask me, if a fitna comes on a person and you are able to do sabr, tafweez, and dua, etc., then you should do shukr to Allah because it's a cleansing process for us. It's a purging process for us. And if Allah had kept us in a happy-go-lucky life, maybe it was because Allah was angry with us. And he was keeping us happy-go-lucky despite our problems, despite our sins. We weren't being shaken, we weren't being purified. And who knows what would have happened to us all of a sudden at most, or what would happen when we were resurrected from our graves all of a sudden on Yom Qiyamah, and we would have to deal with the wrath and punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So don't assume that if somebody's life is going just fine, it means things are just fine. Allah wallet, maybe things are fine because it's pure, or maybe things are not fine but you can't tell. Or maybe it's in this situation that Allah Taala has kept us. Okay, then this question which I told you that some people think that Allah Taala is angry with me. Alright? But this I want to explain. So if a person says Allah Taala is angry with me, why? Because He's giving me 
difficult time. So by this logic, you would think then that Allah Ta'ala must be angry with the Prophet. Because who had the most difficult times? So one Sahabi he asked Nabi Kareem Sallallahu who has been the most sorely tested by Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So Nabi Kareem Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Al Anbiya, the Prophet, was the most tested by Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And if you look at it, this is the most tested. I look at start with number one, Nabi Adam Alaihi Salam. One son killed the other son. Can you imagine? Some of you are younger, but those of you who are older, and we have two sons. Can you imagine what would happen to a father if one of his sons kills his other son? What a big test that is. Huge test. Huge test. But what do This prophet, Noah has to see his son drowned in front of him, live to watch it. And on top of it to know that Allah Ta'ala would not lift his son from the Mu'mineen. So not only was his son drowning and going through physical death, his son was drowning, his life was ending. Therefore the opportunity for the son to accept Iman ended as his life ended. His son is dying of kufr and is going to Jannah. Now for any father, if a father knew in his life that my son is going to Jannah, any, any slightly religious father, he wouldn't be able to handle it, right? Then imagine a Nabi, the most religious of all humanity. How would they feel that my son is dying without Iman and going to Jannah? What a huge test. Hmm? And then in a separate hadith, just so you know, none of this one, but another Rawaya, Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi said the same thing, that the prophets are the most tested of all humanity, and I was the most tested of all the prophets. So then if you look at it like that, it's actually the inverse thing. The more beloved a person is to Allah Ta'ala, because the Anbiya were the most beloved to Allah Ta'ala. And of all the Anbiya, Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was the most beloved Nabi to Allah Ta'ala. <coughs> so never think that if Allah Ta'ala is testing you, He's just angry with me. Does it make sense? If Allah Ta'ala only tested people He was angry with, that means He's angry with the Anbiya, La hawla wa la quwwata Going back to the city, then Nabi Akrim sallallahu continued, Al-Anbiya, the prophets will be the most tested, then those who are most similar to them, then those who are most similar to them. So the scholars of Hadith said that those who are most similar means those who are as involved in some effort of deen. Generally speaking, Dawah of deen, Khidmat of deen, there are many ways to do that. And then the second next who are involved in any effort of deen. They'll be the ones who are the most tested. So this is also answers the question for some people who get really deep in deen. And they don't understand that I'm so deep in deen, I'm doing so much for deen. Same, the whole bayan can be redone for them, right? Even more strongly. You're nothing. What do you mean I was doing so much for deen? You weren't doing anything for deen. It's Allah Ta'ala's mercy that he took something from you for deen and that doesn't give you any entitlement. That because you quote unquote did so much for deen that everything should be fine in dunya. In fact, if you learn from Hadith, the more you do for deen, the more you will be like the prophets and the more you will be tested in this world. Hmm? But then look, the Hadith goes on. A person will be tested according to the level of their imam. Hmm? And then it's fine. Although that, that's the general Allah Ta'ala said in Quran anyway. Life of Allah, nafsan illa was aha. 
So a person will be tested according to the level of the iman. And the Bihakrim sallallahu alayhi if their iman is strong, they will be given more severe tests. And if their iman is weak, they will be tested in accordance with the weakness of their iman. That's, this is the reason my person just took leave. And he turned to Allah that, Ya Allah, you are the being who sent this test upon me, and you are the same being who will give me the ilm, tahammul, zar, wusa, the capacity to bear this test. Hmm? Because you sent the test according to my bearing capacity. Then, now listen to the last line of the hadith. Fitna will keep coming onto a person until... He walks the earth with no sins left upon him. And then he Allahu Akbar. Then he rises to sugar. And then we learn another thing. That when a person is put in a state of fitna, his sins are forgiven. And fitna will keep coming. So if you really want a way out of this, you keep doing tazkiya until you no longer do sins. Or... Fitna and death will keep coming on a person until they will walk on this earth with no sins left upon them. Hmm? Again, we'll go back to what I told in the beginning. Everybody, imagine how they come listening to this and how they would have jumped upon hearing these things. Hmm? First, imagine the love they would have felt for Nabi Akrim, knowing that he's going to be the most tested of humanity. The fikr they would have had, the niyat they would have made in their hearts. I will defend my Nabi. I will give my life for my Nabi. Because they're hearing this. They're hearing from Quran how the other Anbiya were tested. They're seeing with their eyes how their beloved Prophet is being tested. And then the Prophet is telling them that he will be the most tested of all humanity. Who knows what type of jazza and what emotion they would have thought at that moment. Hmm? Then imagine Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq when he became the first Khalifa of Rasul Amir al-Mu'mineen. He would have known that after Anbiya, then now I am the Khalifa. I am now doing, you remember this hadith? I will now be the most tested. Hmm? Easy way for you to understand then the different fitnas that happen in the time of Sahabat Ram. Oh, this one hadith will clarify the entire history to you. Servanthood, need, dependency on Allah. 
That's why, generally speaking, not just in fitna, the wad should always be done in the hal of tafweez. The hal of tafweez. And you may remember another hadith of Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi that Allah Ta'ala accepts the du'a of the mazlum. Allah Ta'ala says in Quran that he accepts the du'a of the murtad, a person of iztirad. So iztirad is a person who sees no way out, who sees no escape, hopeless, helpless, hmm? hopeless and helpless. So whatever, whether a person is oppressed due to some affair, or is hopeless or helpless due to some situation. Okay. First hadith, Nabi Kareem sallallahu says that the du'a of my brother, getting my fellow Nabi, Yunus alayhi salam, who called upon Allah Ta'ala when in the belly of the whale, La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-dhalameen. The Prophet said, no Muslim will say that du'a for any situation whatsoever except that Allah Ta'ala will answer his call. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu min al-dhalameen. Now let's open up this du'a so you can learn to feel it. First, Tawheed. La ilaha illa anta. And in this case, Tawheed is not just an aqidah that Allah is one. In this case, you're praying to Allah Ta'ala dua that you are my one and only. You are my one and only hope, my one and only rope, my one and only escape. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka. What can I say about you? Allah, one word, subhan. For the tasbih of Allah Ta'ala, which means to magnify and glorify the perfections and wonders of Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. Subhanaka about you and about me, inni, inni kuntu min You, subhan, inni, me, kuntu min That's it. It didn't even, not even ask. It didn't ask and take me out of the way. This is another thing. It doesn't ask, present his need to Allah Ta'ala. Because by this state, when a person is done to please, he knows Allah knows my state better than me. I don't have to say these words, take me out of the way of Allah knows I'm in the way. Mm-hmm. I just have to tell Allah that He is my one and only. I have to just praise Allah Ta'ala Subhan, and I have to attest that I am from the sinners. That's it. Do I finish? And all of you know, <laughs> out of the way. La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu the reason I'm teaching you this, you have to say it with feeling. It's not about saying it thousands of times, or getting 20 people in your family to say it 70,000 times. But, if you say it once from your heart, because what Nabiya Kareem sallallahu was teaching us indeed, is that you turn to Allah Ta'ala, with that same feeling that is captured in the words of Nabi Yunus. His words is just a his heart of his feeling. <coughs> so he that you are my one and only, you subhan me in the kuntum min adalami. So it's a very different thing than me, I don't deserve to be in this difficulty. Me, why are we doing so much for your deen? Why didn't you put me in this? Me, why are you doing it? No. Me in the kuntum min adalami. That's it. Nothing else about me. And you, there's nothing else about you except that you are one, la ilaha illallah, and you are subhan, that you are perfect and glorious and wonderful. See? La ilaha illa anta subhanaka inni kuntu minadhalameen. And if Nabi Yunus alayhi salam can say this, then it will make it 
or paternal, it's so much more appropriate for us to say descendant. Hmm? Okay? Another thing. Here even, we didn't call on any attribute of Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is all I wanted to show you. Because in our being, whenever you call upon Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala by His name, Ya Allah, or through this way, when you say La ilaha, that's also calling Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala, His oneness, His unicity, it includes all of His sifat, all of His attributes. So when you're saying La ilaha illa anta, when you said anta, anta means you as you are. And he anta, kaifa anta? You in every attribute that you are. You as al-Rahman, as al-Ghafoor, as al-Hadi, as al-Shakur, anta. You as who you are, you know yourself best to be. All of the names are in this door. La ilaha illa anta, subhanaka, inni kuntu minadhalami. I said, kuntu minadhalami. Kuntu in Arabic comes what we call istimrar dawam. It means that I am ever and always. He was a Nabi. <laughs> but this is how they viewed the way expressing that I am ever and always my reality, my identity, just like your identity is you're ever and always Al-Ahad, one. You're ever and always Subhan, me, I'm ever and always in my hakikat, my reality is that I'm from the Dalai. <clears throat> That's how you have to talk to Allah. And then Nabi Akareem said, Anybody who says it, huh? Allah Ta'ala will answer their du'a. Hmm? You know, because if you're trying to say it like 124,000 times, you're going to say it too fast. You should be able to feel the meaning. Hmm? You're going to say it too fast. Really present the feeling to Allah Ta'ala. Then, second hadith. Nabiya Kareem, sallallahu he spoke these two hadiths were in the collection of Imam Al-Timidhi, Allah Ta'ala. Sorry, that was that. Dua itself is in the Quran, but in the Hadith, the Prophet told us to make that dua. So that was a dua unified as well. In this Hadith, the dua of the Prophet himself, Nabawi dua, that Rasulullah whenever he was afflicted with a stressful trial, fitna, he would make dua to Allah Ta'ala, Ya Hayyu Ya Qayyum, bi rahmatika astaghir. Ya Hayyu Ya Qayyum, bi rahmatika astaghir. Two du'as so far? Ya hayyu ya qayyum. Okay. Now let's open this. Ya hayyu ya qayyum. Ya hayy. Allah Ta'ala is ever living. Al-qayyum. Qayyum. Allah Ta'ala is self-subsistent. So in this sense in du'a, it's that being who is always there to listen to my du'a. That being who is ever present, ever alive. And his being ever present and ever alive is independent. It's not contingent or dependent on any other being. Ya hayyu ya qayyum. Your rahmah. Not mentioning again here again. Doesn't mention the own situation, the particular situation. Invoking the mercy of Allah Subhanahu The wasila. Now what Nabi Kareem sallallahu alaihi wasallam taught us to make dua using the wasila of rahmat of Allah Taala. Why do we need to find a way to do dua with any other wasila? Birahmatika, birahmatika astaghir. Istighatha and wasila, all of this. One hadith. Birahmatika astaghir. Astaghir means to seek help. Alright? It's a bit stronger, it should be a stronger English word than help. To seek succor, to seek respite. To seek redemption, to seek salvation, to seek some deep type of help. 
برحمتك استغيث انتظر يا ايها القيوم برحمتك استغيث الله اكبر so this is dua that nabiy kareem sallallahu alaihi wasallam then back to the of the other anbiya from quran kareem the dua of nabi yaqub alayhi salam father of nabi yusuf alayhi salam so what dua did he make or what statement did he express to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inna ma ashku basi wa husni ila allah wa a'lamu min allah ma ta'lamu that indeed i present my matter my affair my sorrow to tafwid so if you want to build yourself up to the feeling of tafwid you can recite this sentence that i present my matter my affair my sorrow my difficulty all of it to allah subhanahu now what's happening here the anbiya they know that allah knows but they like to say it you don't even have to say this already allah knows best your situation but for us we need to express and articulate this fact that allah knows and i take solace and comfort by presenting my affair and my matter and my sorrow and my sadness entirely to allah subhanahu then back to hadith nabawi dua the fourth dua that say that rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said from the sahih imam bukhari mutawa that when nabi kareem sallallahu alaihi was faced with any distress trial fitna He would make dua, La ilaha illallahu alimul halim. La ilaha illallahu rabbul arshil azim. La ilaha illallahu rabbul salawati wa rabbul ardi rabbul arshil kareem. Now here, first, La ilaha illallah. Is that what I explained to you in the dua of Nabi Yunus alayhi salam? Al-alimul halim. Al-alim that Allah tells all-knowing. He knows my situation, why I'm in this situation, who put me in this situation, how I'm struggling in this situation, how I'm being affected by this situation. He knows. Al-Ali. He knows everything about me, all my shortcomings, all my sins, all my failures, all my deficiencies. Al-Ali. Al-Halim. That despite knowing all these things about me, Allah SWT has not yet punished me. Allah Ta'ala has not yet outcast me. He's Al-Aleem and Halim. This comes together in Quran also. Ta'alallahu Aleem and Halima. Aleem and Halim. Aleem and Halim. Aleem and Halim. Then again, La ilaha illallah. Then Rambam Arsh al-Aleem. So Al-Arsh. But this is a slightly, I guess in a bariki, there's a slightly subtle thing to understand in our being, huh? So Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala has explained the concept of istila al-arsh that after Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala created the creation the created realms then he settled himself established himself now what does that mean so different ulama have explained this in different ways one meaning is simply this that the arsh is also creation of Allah Ta'ala Allah Allah everything else is created all right the arsh is the vantage point from which Allah Ta'ala directs his attention on his creation. You can imagine like a metaphorical portal. And that arsh of azim is viewed as surrounding the entire universe. Means there's no place a person can be in the universe except that he is entirely 360 degrees, three dimensionally, surrounded by Allah Ta'ala's might, power, knowledge, and awareness. Right? 
So if you will, the canopy of our planet Earth is the sky or the, now we know scientifically the atmosphere, all right? Then the next horizon would be the solar system, next horizon of the big galaxy, next horizon of the known universe, then you have the seven samavas, then you have the heavenly realms, there's seven jannas, then you have the kursi, and then you have the arts, and so the muntaha, all right? So, what it meant, if, how can I explain this to you? When, Nabi, when, when this was said, Rabbul Arsh al Adim, like Rabbul Alameen, that Allah Ta'ala is the Rabb of all the worlds, but He's also Rabbi, He's also my Rabb. Allah Ta'ala is nourishing everything in the world, but He's also nourishing me. Kind of like you reflect on astrophysics and you discover mm-hmm. Allah, but you can also reflect on microcellular biology and find Allah. So that is Rabbul Alameen and Rabbi. So Rabbul Arsh al Adim, Allah Ta'ala his grand canopy, his grand protection, his grand shade of the arches comes out of me. So I'm inside Allah Ta'ala's protection. Then again, La ilaha illallah, That's one level lower. Of one is the grand canopy of the arshal adeem, then lower is samawat al-arsh, that's more physical creation, that's more planetary, if you will. There, so this is another dua that Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made. Back to Quran, back to the du'a of another Nabi, du'a of Nabi Musa alayhi salam. Du'a of Nabi Musa alayhi salam. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin fakir. And not mentioning specifically, he's just saying, Allah Ta'ala, oh my Rabb, whatever you send upon me, any and every khayr that you may choose to send to me, me, I'm fakir. I'm needy, I'm muqtaj, I need any and every hair you can send to me. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqeer. Then back to du'as from Nabi Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Du'a that he taught us to recite. Sahih hadith. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altuhu sahla. That Ya Allah, there is nothing that will be easy except that which you make easy. So we're in a tough time. You want the tough time to become easy? Hmm? It's a statement of creed also. It's a statement of fact, of reality. But it's also a du'a to Allah Ta'ala. means make it easy. Make it easy. One that said to the husband is a shikta sahla. So husband, although some people read it as a husband, husband means extremely tightened, straightened, narrow circumstances. But you can make it easy if you wish. It means if you wish, you can make the most tightened, difficult hardship, you can make it easy. Obviously, Allah Ta'ala is Allah. Kulna shayin can be trouble because we are just on the last dua that for tonight. This dua of Nabi Ayyub alayhi salam. So you probably were alternating between Nabawis. We need Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and dua of another prophet in Quran. Of Nabi Ayyub alayhi salam, you would remember he was afflicted with his physical illness. Some type of degenerative skin disease. But even after some time, his wife making khidmat, even then the wife wasn't able to continue initially. Hmm? So how did he turn to Allah Ta'ala? That's it. That, oh Allah, as hardship has afflicted me. Anta and you, you are arhamar rahimi. That's it. That this is the only dua from all the duas tonight that we actually get Allah Ta'ala's answer. That ultimate member of things. But the jabna lahu fakashafna ma bihi min 
And Allah says, and Allah says that I, in my royal majesty and all my might and my splendor, I answered his dua and I removed from him entirely the zor, the hardship that was afflicting him. So this is why in Tirtib I put but this order you can change because there's no sunnah basis for this order. But I put this dua last because it's nice to have the answer of Allah Ta'ala in this dua. Hmm? So you can make dua to Allah Ta'ala that Ya Allah Nabi Ayyub when he was afflicted he made dua to you and you answered him in this way. So And you taught me in Quran Al-Kareem this dua. So because you taught me in Quran Al-Kareem this dua and made him dua his dua to you, I ask you that you give me your answer to him. Hmm? So if you learn these du'as from the Quran and the Sunday Kadeesh, and you, and you try to recite them with the feelings that are there and the meanings, then inshallah you will find your heart will become content and relaxed. Even though the fitna might stay the same, the fitna may remain, but the worry will go away. The fitna might still remain, but the sorrow will go away. The fitna might still remain, but that laziness that you had in Ibadah, that will go away, you'll go back to your Ibadah. The fitna will remain, but your questions about Allah will go away. And that's what we're mukallif And that's our duty, is to keep our relationship strong with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whenever He wills and wishes, He will take us out from that fitna and difficulty. Anyone who ever hurt us in our life, 
So you say that in your name you have a decree, we forgive them on this night, and we forgive them ever and ever again. Whereas if you accept our forgiving them, you make it a means of you forgiving us out of decree, and thus bring us on the day of judgment in such a way that you are happy with us, that you are pleased with us, that you are content with us. It will be claimed that every difficulty in this world be a means of elimination of our sins. It will be claimed that us a thirst for ilm. We must so be to do amal on ilm. Grant us a thirst for every ayah of Qur'an al-Kareem, every hadith of Nabi al-Kareem, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Give us so big to do amal on our ilm, to practice what we heard, to practice what we spoke, to practice what we read, to practice what we know. Give us ikhlas in that amal, istiqamah in that ikhlas, kubuliyah in that amal. Ya Allah, you're the kareem. Let us make dua for the whole ummah, ya Rabb. Send your rahmah on the ummah. Makhra on the Ummah, your Hidayah on the Ummah, accept us to be of Khidmah to the Ummah, of Dawah to the Ummah, accept us for the Khidmah of Insan, Yerub Bikrim, raise up from this Ummah, Yerub Bikrim, once again, Muttaqeen, Salihin, Zahirin, who become leaders of this Ummah, guides to humanity, helpers to humanity, Yerub Bikrim, Rabbana, Takabal Minna, Innaka, Antas, Sameer, وتوب علينا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم وصلى الله تعالى على حبيبه سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين